listening to The Home Recording Show, hosted by Ryan Canestro and John Tidy. Find us online at homerecordingshow.com. Welcome back with us today, John Tidy at epicsounds.ca, reaperblog.net, and audiogeekzine.com. Hey, guys. And I am Ryan Canestro. No other stuff behind that. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter, John at The Audio Geek, and me at Ryan Canestro. Emails are John or Ryan at homerecordingshow.com. If you're shopping on Amazon, please click through our link. They'll break off a piece and send it our way. Click the tip jar for one-time or reoccurring monthly donations. The archives tab is near the top of our page. Check out every show we've done. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash homerecordingshow. If you listen on iTunes, please write us a review while you're there. Today's segment is by Peter Corbett, and he talks about organs, modifying them, and getting all kinds of different sounds and comparing them to virtual instruments. Take a listen. Hi, my name is Peter Corbett from Peanut Recording Company, a Vancouver-based project studio. This is a follow-up to a segment from show 122 on Hammond organs that was sent in by Pete Buckwell. I really enjoyed his segment, but I thought there was still a bit more ground to cover on the subject of Hammond organs. There has been a lot of discussion on HRS over the years regarding DIY and modification projects for both guitar and recording equipment, but there is just as many opportunities to modify vintage organs and especially to make the more affordable spinet organs sound a little bit closer to the classic B3 console. I first got interested in Hammond organs a number of years ago and ended up buying a Hammond L102 for $400 from a local classified ad. The L series, as Jesse stated in the discussion of show 122, is actually very close to the M series organ. Both of these are spinet organs and were the home organ counterpart to the larger console organs including the A100, C3 and the revered B3 organ. Although my newly purchased organ sounded pretty cool, and was a ton of fun to play, I couldn't help noticing that it sounded a bit duller than most of the organ recordings I heard so far. Researching this further, I stumbled upon a website, guytech.me.uk, where a community of DIYers and organ enthusiasts have amassed a catalogue of plans to bridge the tonal gap between an L100 and a B3 organ. I decided to take on some of these projects, so I bought the necessary parts and supplies, then dove in. The first thing to address with the L-series organ is the key click, or rather the lack thereof. The Hammond console organ was originally designed to replace large and costly pipe organs in churches, and the key click, now synonymous with the Hammond tone, was considered to be a flaw by Hammond's engineers at the time. It was suppressed in the later Spinet series organs with a series of resistors and capacitors in the percussion and the preamp circuits. These are easily removed, to liberate all of that lovely and highly desirable key click. The next difference between the two models is the percussion. For anyone unfamiliar with what the percussion in an organ is, it is a short harmonic burst added to accentuate the attack of each note. The percussion in L100 is much smoother and softer than in the B3 and has a much longer decay. Again, this is just the matter of changing a few resistors and capacitors. I greatly preferred the results of this mod but I found that even with both percussion switches in the off position, the organ still had a sharper attack than it originally did. I don't find this is necessarily a bad thing in a tonery organ. The stock vibrato in an L100 is nothing to write home about. It is fairly weak and plain, so I opted to take on the Con Zenus mod as it didn't require me to source any rare parts. 
In this mod, you tap a different input source for the vibrato circuit and change a couple capacitor values. Although the tone from this mod is definitely usable and a noticeable improvement, it is not nearly as lush or rich as a Skyner vibrato circuit, but to install one of those, you need to find suitable hardware from Madonna, Oregon. Instead, I ended up building in an effects loop so that I could use stomp boxes to bring the vibrato and chorus up to the next level. I ended up buying a Mooger Fuger Cluster Flux. If you're not familiar with this pedal, it is a fantastic, albeit rather expensive, vibrato, chorus, delay, and general sound mangling device. There are plenty of more affordable pedals and even software plugins that could still get you there. I found that the effects loop also encourages me to get more creative and experimental. I ended up patching an awa, which opens up the floodgates to less conventional playing styles. Finally, the most important addition to the organ rig is the Leslie speaker. This is a speaker cabinet that usually consists of one smaller speaker that fires upwards into a rotating horn and a larger bass driver pointing towards the ground into a rotating wooden baffle. This is called the bass rotor. There is a crossover circuit in the Leslie amp that splits the high and low signals and sends them to the correct speakers. The rotating speakers create an effect similar to a tremolo using the Doppler effect. This is the same principle that causes the apparent pitch and amplitude of a car on the highway to change as it approaches and passes you. I found a Leslie 760, which has a later solid state model made out of plywood for portability. It is not as desirable or as well known as the famous Leslie 122 or 145, but it still gets the job done. To compensate for the lack of a tube amp to overdrive in the Leslie cabinet, I added a Zener overdrive circuit to the power amp of the organ itself. This has the added benefit of being controllable from the console so that I can change the level and tone of the distortion on the fly. I should also add a disclaimer, tone wheel organs use a lot of large transformers and capacitors and run extremely high voltages. If you don't know how to work around this stuff safely, it's best to avoid a project like this. With that out of the way, let's jump into some samples. Unfortunately, I didn't have the foresight to record my organ before I modified it. So instead, I'm going to compare it to some of my favorite software B3 emulations. The track you'll be hearing was co-written by my friend Khadija, who also played some of the keyboards. This freed me up to focus on engineering. In addition, Patrice Savard did the vocal work on this track. The first and second example you will be hearing will be of the L102 organ, just with different mic placements. Both examples were recorded with the Lawton Torch pencil condensers on the horns, and the Lawton Oceanus large diaphragm condenser and the bass rotor, all going through the UA4710D preamp. Now the second one. Now all of the software instruments will have matched drawbar settings tried to automate the less lead to be matched as best to the original recording as possible, but the performance is on a MIDI keyboard so it is slightly different. 
There's a huge variation in tone between the different plugins at the same settings, and I think this will become apparent. So I did a second round afterwards of unmatched drawbar settings, just trying to get the best possible sound of the plugins for this song. The first example is of the Vintage Organ plugin that ships with Logic X. <laughs> Although I normally like the sound of this plugin, with those particular drawbar settings it sounds very nasally to me, um, not so nice. The next plugin up is the Native Instruments Vintage Organs Contact Instrument, which I believe replaces the B4 standalone plugin, uh, just with a couple extra organ models. There's a C3, there's a Vox Continental, etc. Here we go. <laughs> Alright, so the next plugin up is VB3 by GSI. This one is actually entirely physically modeled, so no samples here, which gives it uh, better playability and also a lot of flexibility. It's probably my favorite organ emulation that I've tried so far, but uh, we'll see how it sounds on this track. <laughs> Well, not my favorite setting for that one, but there's lots of great key click there as well. And the Leslie emulation is very good on this plugin. The next one is made by a company called Sound Dust, and it's a plugin called Hammer Plus, uh, which is another contact instrument. Let's see how this one sounds. <laughs> So I should mention that that plugin uses the built-in Contact Leslie emulator. Soundust actually recommends that you try using an external plugin for the Leslie emulation if you're not happy with it. So this next example is the same instrument going through the Melder Productions and Rotary Leslie simulator. <laughs> Now let's bring it back around to the Logic Vintage Organ plugin. This is using uh, just whatever drawbar settings and tone settings I thought sounded best on it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, that has a lot more low frequency bite, sort of growl, just more balls than the uh, the first example of that instrument. Uh, and here's completely different drawbar settings for the native instrument's vintage organs. <laughs> I wanted to show you in the first round how different all of these plugins sound with the same exact settings, but uh, I also don't want you to think they're bad, which is why we're revisiting them now. If you want to spice up your software organs even more, then try adding some tube, tape, or transformer saturation or something to them as well. Really brings them to life, gives it a bit more bite. Uh, here's the GSI VB3 organ with its own settings. I should also mention that the VB3, like the native instruments organs, also comes with some different emulation options, uh, transistor organs and what have you, not just uh, magnetic tone wheel organs. Next up is the Hammer Plus again with the stock built-in Leslie. <laughs> We'll end that one a little bit early. It's kind of a nasty sounding thing on this style of music. It's meant more for uh, hard rock, deep purple kind of stuff, um, not so much jazz and funk. Here's the Hammer Plus again, but with the M Rotary plugin on it. <laughs> Well, there you have it. That's all my top picks for softer emulations of organs. They don't get quite as close as the real thing, but they do get pretty close now, and they're definitely usable. If you don't have a real organ, you can still put organ in your song. The only one I left out is Organ 3 by Linplug, and that's because I've never really liked the way that one sounds on anything. There's also a couple good hardware emulations for organs. Nord does a fantastic one, Roland does one, and Hammond does their own as well now. Now the last thing to play for you guys is the full mix of this song, and this will be using the first recording of the actual L102 organ.
there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed this segment or learned something. And hopefully my clumsy voiceover wasn't too distracting. I'll turn it back over to the boys now. Great segment. Uh, so many examples. Uh, the only thing I was thinking about while I was listening to it was I would have liked to have heard all of the VIs through the same Leslie that was recording the original organ. That way we can have more of a fair fight between the plugins and the real thing. Because once you add that Leslie and that's an entirely new set of variables. Yeah, the uh, the amp makes such a big difference with that. The but... amp, the room, the mics, the preamps, that will add a whole new flavor that might make some of those virtual instruments sound that much better. Yeah, all the virtual instruments sounded pretty good to me. I, I think I liked the Logic one quite a bit, but I liked the NI Vintage one the best. The two examples that he played from that I thought were the best. I think all of them had their own charm hmm. and they could all fit in different places. Um, I have uh, an old Wurlitzer organ and it records beautifully. Um, it's funky, it's gritty, it does all kinds of weird stuff, it hums in weird ways, and I, I love all that. But it's, but it's not the, a Hammond, right? No. It's it's kind of a different instrument. And it's, and it's not even like the difference between like a, a Strat and a Les Paul, it's kind of like... No, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, a, it's like a banjo analog, to it. It's not spinning wheels. Yeah, it's it's just a totally different instrument. And, and I, I love that about the analog hardware. It's mm -hmm. just the older stuff just does weird stuff that emulation just can't do. Uh, that being said, I also use a ton of emulation when it comes to keys, and I love it. Uh, there's, there's so many great plugins out there, and that's the kind of stuff that everyone's had right for a long time. It's still going to be a long time off before guitar sounds, bass sounds, vocal sounds are all going to be at that level. Uh, I'm pretty happy with a lot of the key stuff that's been around for years now. Yeah. With hardware, it's easy to tweak and find a good sound right away and get a good performance out of it. And with the software, there's more latency usually, but also the sounds are a little less inspiring to play to. So you record something and then you tweak and then maybe you can do better uh, when you're monitoring that better sound. The flexibility of being able to change the sound after you record it is so great. You don't get you don't get that with real Hammond. And and Hammonds don't even have MIDI or anything. So it's not even yeah. an option. Well I love that he was talking about he built an effects loop into an organ. Yeah. That's rad. I, I thought it was really cool that how kind of easy it was to, for him to modify it. And these I, they're complicated systems, but a lot of the sound of the Hammonds is mechanical right and then it's just oh, amplifiers yeah. and and routing inside yeah it's an analog beast so it was it was cool that he was able to add in key click and just do various mods to it it seemed like fairly simple uh, different capacitors different resistors maybe bypassing well, he made it thing. sound simple yeah. he obviously knows what he's doing so he wasn't <laughs> just kind of looking at something online and just digging around he had a pretty good idea of how the things put together how it works and uh, some pretty good understanding of electronics yeah. in general yeah it's cool that you can do that and it's probably a lot simpler than let's say adding something to uh like a, a korg workstation synth yeah in in all of these virtual instruments and uh hardware uh synthesizers and that kind of thing just putting it plugging it into an amp and getting a sound in a room will probably help you more than hours of tweaking in your software yeah. if you can just get it in the room 
get a feel for it, especially if you're jamming with a band, um, getting it out of the headphones into the room just to get a feel. Um, I, I would definitely go that route and you'll probably save yourself a lot of time in post. In post. Look at you. In mix. <laughs> in after recording. Yeah. Yeah, can you tell I've been living in a different world yeah. lately? Uh, and I definitely want to get a proper Leslie. Uh, I love those things. They're um, very cool. And I'd love to get a ton of organs, too. I just I would have to build an additional wing onto my estate. And uh, calling my uh, modest house an estate is uh, definitely reaching. <laughs> I'd like to have an organ room, though. How great would that be? Organ harvesting farm? There you go. Well, maybe if I do more of that, then I can buy more analog organs. Yeah. The organs that I hate the most are the reed organs with like the, the fan that blows the thing and it sounds like a... Well, it, it's right in the description. It blows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really not a fan of those ones. And there are a lot of consumer organs that were sold in the late 70s, early 80s that are just garbage. And there's a reason that every uh, yard sale, garage sale, flea market has one sitting out there. They're not all good. Yeah. They're kind of cool. When those came out, like there was like, I think it was the musicians union was angry that it's going to put people out of business. Yeah. Meanwhile, every other family bought one because they think that their children might be prodigies and no one touched them. <laughs> those things always had like weird sounding um, percussion, like uh, backing tracks. Well, it always said like flute and oboe and had all these different things. And they all sounded like slightly different pitched sine waves. Yeah. I, I did like the drum loops that came with those things. So, those yeah, really Foxtrot, yeah. Samba. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's Bossa something Nova. about that, like, th that tone, and it was just always kind of like broken sounding. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because you always cranked it up too loud, and the speaker would start to yeah. tear up because it was definitely, you know, the, the components were as cheaply built as possible to hit a price point. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can go in there and, and destroy those and do some... Uh, what was that that toys breaking thing you did years ago? Just distressing the shit out of it. Circuit bending. That might be kind of fun. Yeah, there you go. That's the word I was looking for. Anything that plugs into the wall, you got to be really careful with circuit bending. But, uh, but I don't disagree with you. If you know what you're doing, if you, if you avoid the power supply, you can you can make that sound horrible, but amazing. Yeah, and for anyone that's digging into electronics, just realize that capacitors are like batteries. Once you plug something in, they charge up and they don't discharge. And if you grab onto a big one, even if it's been unplugged for a year, it can make you dead. So uh, please, before you dig into any of this stuff, uh, he uh, he mentioned it in the segment, uh, you can really get seriously hurt. So if you if you want to get started in this kind of thing, uh, do it with 9-volt batteries. Then work your way up to the big stuff. Yeah. I was thinking the other day that um, there's a few things in my studio that have been totally worth the money, worth the investment, and maybe it was something that I put off buying for a while. I just kind of wanted to get your ideas and you know your opinions on similar things for your studio. Yeah, I've got a couple things I bought when I was a kid, and they're still here in use every day. Definitely getting the money out of those. Some of the things that like I use all the time, the SM7, the... Uh, Pre-73 and the AKG K240 headphones. Mm -hmm. I just got my second set of K240 headphones 
and uh, they sound just as good as my 15-year-old ones or whatever, however old they are. And um, and they're just they just fit so nicely on my head. They don't stress my jaw. They don't interfere with my glasses too much. Uh, just good-sounding headphones sound good for mixing, and uh, they sound really natural for when I'm speaking into the mic. And I can't say that about almost any other headphones. And they have, um, you can pull the cord out, right? It's a, is it a Yeah, jacket? yeah. It's a mini uh, XLR. And uh, the new ones, the Mark IIs, come with a coiled cord and a straight cord and two sets of ear pads. So the two most breakable things in these headphones come with replacements. That's great. And, and actually, like, if, if anything else breaks, all the parts, all the individual parts can be ordered from AKG or from Soundcraft or whatever the distributor is in your area. So for headphones, I've been on the Sony MDR 7506s for a while now, and I, I think I'll probably be there for a bit. Yeah, Randy likes those too. Yeah, those I mean, are, they're used kind a of, lot for uh, for in uh, voiceover studios and stuff like that. Yeah, they're kind of industry standard. standard. And most of the things I'm doing now are voice, and then right now I'm talking into a microphone and listening through them. So for that, they're actually really good. It sounds like your voice. Yeah. Or sounds like what you're used to. Sounds like voice. And I'm, I'm really yeah. used to, just like when you get used to any monitors, I'm really used to hearing in these headphones now. So when I'm recording something, I know what I'm hearing. Yeah. SM7B. Yeah, I, love We've it. talked about it so many times. But it's probably the best bang for buck microphone. Yep. And it's one of the most expensive dynamic microphones you can get. Well, not even. I mean, the, the RE20 is more expensive. The uh, M421 is more expensive. The um, the Heil's more expensive. Way to prove me wrong. <laughs> but it's up there. It's in uh, the top limit. It, it is. Yeah. It, it's not. It's the, not like a fifty-seven. It's not the like the most expensive mic is only a hundred dollars more than this. So it's what three fifty. Okay. Yeah. 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 I use this thing for everything though. For guitar cameras, for voice. Um, the TV show I just wrapped. Uh, we did a bunch of voiceover for each show we did. We had the host do voiceover talking through the segment. I I recorded every single voiceover for the entire season on the SM7. I use it for all my videos, or almost all of them. I, I keep coming back to it. For the podcast, I've gone through probably 20 different mics over the years. Well, in and the beginning. This is the, yeah, and I've pretty much settled on this one, and I think it's it sounds like how I want to sound, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It sounds right in my headphones as well, It it and it doesn't pick up a lot of external background noise like any condenser would, and things yeah. like that. Uh, that's why I love it. It's it's very directional. It doesn't pick up everything around it. It just picks up what it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. There's a lot less editing I need to do with what I'm recording on this mic mm -hmm. than with a condenser. Well, I recorded uh, the last show we did on a condenser because I was on the road and didn't have it. And I, I just didn't like the way I sounded. And there were P-pops and there was all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, if I could recommend another mic, it would be the CAD M179. You may not. <laughs> uh, it's a multi-pattern, uh, I think it's a FET condenser. It sounds good on voice. I, I like, if, if I'm doing a voiceover on that, uh, I'll put it on bi-directional, get some increased proximity effect. But it's not overpowering and it just sounds, you know, sounds nice and big in your headphones. But with a multi-pattern mic like that, or two of them, you can do almost anything, uh, especially because it sounds good on its own. And I'm sure there's mods for it and stuff like that, but I think it's a really great 
mic. And if you can get them used for like under a hundred dollars, it's amazing. Love that thing. That was my most recent microphone purchase. And we used for $60. Oh, that's a good price. Yeah. And we were talking bang for the buck earlier. John and I were off the air. I'm still using my Mac Pro version 1.1, which I bought somewhere around 2007, I believe. Um, it was right when the new Mac Pro Intel stuff came out. I've been using this thing, running it 24 hours a day in my studio. It's always on unless I leave town for a week. Uh, going on, what, my son's almost eight now, and uh, he's interested in um, going to the beach and looking at girls' situations, as he said. That's a direct quote. <laughs> That's funny. So um, I've, I've got to be, you know, pennies per day by now, right? It's a pretty big investment at first. I was a little hesitant to like to get my iMac, um, but it was worth it for sure. I feel like if you get three years out of a computer before it's crashing on you every day, I think you're doing pretty well. But seven years? Is that what you said? Yeah, something like that. So I think I'm down to a dollar a day on the original purchase. Yeah, just did a little calculation there. About a dollar twenty if it's eight years now. It's nothing. No. And I think it maybe that's a, extremely rare. Yeah, it's got to get it. that much value out of it. So yeah, it's that came up because it's it's about time for me to get a new computer, and I don't want to spend the money because this one is still all the power I need. Uh, you know, video keeps pushing the need for more and more. Uh, I don't need it so much. Uh, I've I've done a few sessions with um for movie stuff where i had 50 60 tracks going and the computer was starting to choke a little bit and understandably so but other than that when i'm doing basic music stuff or even with a lot of plugins and virtual instruments it can still handle it it's just now i can't upgrade to the most recent operating system i can't get the most recent pro tools so um i think the value is just about to be over we did mention uh, sm57 as well sm58s I have a bunch of those since I was a kid uh, doing live stuff, still use them often, travel with them. Yeah. And we've compared the 58 and the 57 on guitar, and they're not completely different. I will still use the 57 every time. Yeah. They're identical capsules, but they have different shapes. So air hits the capsules in different ways. But the- even Even with the the windscreen off. Not quite the same. Not quite the same. And I put off buying a 57 for a long time because I had a 58 and I had those, uh, those cheaper 57 things. Actually, what I like the best is one of those, uh, the ES 57 that I modded plus a real 57. Oh. Simultaneously. That combo sounds the best. If you just buy a 57, if you're thinking about buying just one mic, get the 57 first. It's more useful and it still sounds great on vocals. And then if you ever watch the president speak, you see those two mics in front of them. That's a 57 with the windscreen on it. So you could pop the windscreen yeah. on it and and then still have it as a vocal mic. And that is the official mic since I think the Nixon years uh, on the president because they're indestructible. Hey, you know in TV shows, they always put like, like a bucket full of microphones on the stage, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on a podium. Uh-huh. And it's always like the wrong kind of mics yep. facing the wrong direction. Yep. Doesn't that bother you? Oh, so much. And there's so many times where we'll be shooting a scene where there's a microphone in the scene. And I'll say, well, do you want me to record that microphone? And the director almost always says no. Okay, so you don't want me to get audio from the microphone that's in the shot on screen 
that would be realistic audio. So I'm still recording a lav and a boom, and they're holding a stick mic. Yeah. I usually I, still I think just you should just. You, I was going to say, you should just record it and not even ask anymore. I, I do. But I, I just, I like to hear the no at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes for a better story. There you go. But yeah, there's a couple things in my studio. They've been here forever. My monitors are still working, surprisingly. I, all my amps I've had since before I was married, guitars, most of them. So I've gotten a lot of value out of a lot of things. My car's about to turn 11. It seems like <laughs> as the years go on, I'm selling less gear than I used to. I used to buy and sell gear a lot, and now I'm just getting more use out of everything that I have. Yeah. I, or maybe, or making better decisions, maybe, or just I think realizing that's what things I'm, I'm only going to buy something I'm going to commit to keeping because I, I want it. I need that as part of my toolkit, and it's going to serve a purpose for the long haul. I, I, I don't have time to try new things or, hey, what if this, this would be fun? Maybe I'll take this and mix this with that. Maybe that'd be cool. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just sell it. I, I don't think like that anymore. I don't have time. We're getting older, John. We're getting older. <laughs> Software-wise, I think Reaper is way underpriced for what you get. And uh, Isotope RX3 or RX4. RX is used on every session, everything I do, no matter what it is. Yeah. I use it a ton, too. And I'm still on Pro Tools 9 and 12 is coming out, so there's some value for you. I need to get out of 9 <laughs> desperately. Well, they started up to, like changing the version numbers yearly or every eight months or something and it used to be a lot longer between it used to be like oh there was like 6.4 6. uh, or 6.9 i think was the next one mm-hmm. and there was 7.0 7 2 7 4 and then 8 yeah numbers awesome and then 9 10 11 yeah. 12 I'll, I'll give them 500 bucks right now if I can just have faster than real-time bounce and clip gain. That's all I need. Clip gain is pretty sweet. Sounds like it. Tangent. <laughs> so uh, I think that's good enough for now. Uh, we've covered the, uh, the value stuff, and uh, let's move on with our lives. Thank you to everyone who comments and participates in the show. Thank you so much to everyone who's donated. Thank you to Peter Corbett for his segment. Thanks to John for all the long hours of editing our show. There's plenty more where that came from. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. The guys will be back next week. Please go to homerecordingshow.com and leave your comments.